This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 77 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Cashel Company, American Harvest, and Wintech Saddles. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. Today, we're chatting with Natalie Voss about her perspective on the next generation of racing's leaders featured in the Pollock Report. We introduced our second spotlight writer of our Road to the Makeover series, Natalie Holdren. We chat with Standard Bread Program Director Winnie Morgan Nemeth about new vocations and how they're highlighting their Standard Bread in their programs and introducing our adoptable horse of the week, Wind of the North. Kirsty Ann is our Listener of the Week. If you'd like to be our Listener of the Week, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Now back to the show. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Joy Orr in Detroit, Michigan. And this is Kristen Kovach-Bentley in Jamestown, New York. And you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. How are you holding up with all these crazy weather changes, Kristen? We're just sort of coasting on through. I will say the time <laughs> change has helped a lot because mm-hmm. even though it's been, I mean, we got a foot of snow over the weekend, so that, that wasn't oh, great. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's all melting and we have some places where the footing holds up pretty well. It's not great ground, but it's a good place to at least, you know, go on a long walk and a little trot and start getting horses conditioned. So we're getting there. Yes, How about you? How are absolutely. you holding up? The time change has been very helpful. We've had interesting weather. It was like 60 degrees and then it went to like 15 degrees and now we're 60 again today. So our horses are very confused. I don't blame them. I'm like, I don't know where we live either, kids. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Everybody likes to say like, oh, this is just Michigan weather, New York weather. I'm like, no, this is just spring weather. It's like this everywhere. Exactly. I just try to explain to my horse that she lives in a Willy Wonka factory of the Weather Channel and it's all going to be okay. Yeah, it'll Um, come out in the end. It's fine. Yeah, it's definitely been nice, though. Um, I mean, I am fortunate to have an indoor. So you'll love this. Because for anyone who knows me, I've I've never been, I've always been told I've been a very nice human. Like, Joy, you're just so nice. Your name matches who you are. And I always question that a little bit. But I was told I was mean today by one of my students. Oh. And I loved it. No one has ever told me <laughs> I am mean. No one ever did. And so, I, I don't know. She had a moment where she likes to talk through everything that's happening in her ride. I'm like, this legitimately is not helping you be a better rider. Like, I just need you to move forward and stop living in the past for just 10 seconds. We can debrief later. So, I just got to the point where I ignored her and just told her to walk her horse and kept interrupting her, which maybe some parents would not recommend to speak to children. But listen, I'm not a parent. Let's just assume I'm ignorant here, okay? And it worked. She got through her dressage test quite beautifully, actually. And then we were able to debrief after. And I told her I was really proud that she was able just to move through the mistakes and not overthink it, not get hung up. And that's a huge win. And she told me, she's like, you know, Miss Joy. You're actually really mean. (laughs) (laughs) Not a, like, thank you for the life lesson. No, she's like, you're really mean. And then, but then she had, 
but I'm a better writer. It's like, I would like you to rephrase that I'm very tough and I'm the best teacher you've ever had. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. And she's Positive like, spin. Yeah, it was great. It was great. So, I, I mean, it's just one of those really rare things where everyone's always told me how nice I am, how enthusiastic I am. And it was someone telling me I'm mean that I'm like, finally, I could be firm. This Disney princess high pitched voice I've been gifted stops me no longer. <laughs> it's great. It was, you it was own a fun it now. Time. Yeah. The new, what uh, we can't call you joy. Then it'll be like, I'm officially a Karen in the barn. Oh, oh no. <laughs> you don't want to be that. <laughs> I know. Maybe more of like a Susan, like some halfway point. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I kind of get that, though, because I've been trying to teach. I The only student I really have regularly anymore is my husband. So, of course, that adds a whole God bless to trying to teach. <laughs> and I think I think I might have made him cry a little the other day. <gasps> no. I felt really bad he was frustrated his horse was frustrated they were just having an off day and i just like said something like nye, 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 and it it did not hit home the way i wanted it to so it is encouraging me to be a little more patient and a little nicer and of course like any riding instructor find 400 ways to say the same thing yes it's a definitely a toolbox um I hope you made him like a hot chocolate or something after you just do what I do like to my partner where I'm like, Hey, we okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We just, you know, he's a lovely man. Very hard to pick a fight with. We left each other alone for 10 minutes and then everything was hugged it out. Yeah. Yep. That's excellent. I I so approve. And it is tough being a teacher and, just to, to go back for 30 seconds, because I know what's going to happen for every Karen and Susan listening to the show. You are more than welcome to send your complaints to Jen at horseradionetwork.com. Um, I hope you all know it was said with love. But something that we will not complain about is this epic guest list we have today. I'm super stoked to jump in with Natalie Voss. She's been on the show before. Love her and introducing our next spotlight writer. We have a really banger of a show coming on. And before we get on to that, we're going to hear from our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. Nothing anyone has ever complained about their stuff. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Researchers have confirmed that as horses age, they naturally become less sensitive to insulin and more susceptible to health problems caused by too much sugar in the diet. One way to reduce the sugar content in a horse's diet is to replace sugar-laden grains with a high-fat supplement. Fat is an extraordinary energy source. It is readily utilized by the horse and contains more than two times the calories of sugary grains. Equijule Stabilized Rice Bran is an excellent fat supplement. It contains a balanced calcium to phosphorus ratio and won't cause mineral imbalances when added to the diet. Its all-natural ingredients are high in healthy fat and fiber. Best of all, Equijule allows owners to easily replace the calories previously supplied by sugary grains. When you need to add healthy calories to your horse's diet, choose Equijule. To learn more, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com.
our next guest, I'm very excited to have on, someone whose work I have admired for a long time. We have Natalie Voss joining us. She's a three-time Eclipse Award-winning writer and the editor-in-chief of Pollock Report. She writes about a variety of subjects, but specializes in horse care, legal, and investigative reporting. She's the permanent student of a semi-retired Pertron and Thoroughbred Cross mare and competed in last year's Thoroughbred Makeover with her very first OTTB underscore, known to all of his friends as Blueberry. Natalie, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what caught our eye recently in Natalie's work um, is her Next Generation series that she published on Pollock Report uh, about a month ago, I think, at this point. Right, Natalie? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so the Next Generation series, if you guys haven't read it, uh, definitely worth looking into. It was a five-part series in which Natalie spoke with a huge variety of people in the racing industry, all you know in the younger generation, so 20s and 30s, just coming up through the ranks in like a huge variety of positions. That was what struck me in reading that. Like There are so many jobs in the horse racing industry. How many different people did you speak to? Oh gosh, I'm not I'm not actually totally sure. I think I had maybe about 20 or 25 interviews altogether. Wow. I started running them on Monday and by the time we got to like Wednesday or so, I heard from people who'd read the series who I did not know or had not been referred to prior when I was like sort of scouting for interviews from people who said like I kind of fit in this age demographic roughly that you have here. Would you like me to answer the questions? This is the position that I'm in. This is like the the job that I'm in. And I said yes to several people that I kind of added by the Friday edition. So (laughs) I think I had roughly five in each. So 2025 by the end. Yeah. So it kind of like took on a life of its own then as it started going. Yeah, it really did, which was not something I had totally expected. I sort of thought out people where I'd had this conversation with them before of just like, how do we feel about this job choice that we've all made to be in this industry? And then said like, I don't want to just keep this to people I know. Like if you know someone else who you have conversations with or who you know has strong feelings about this, please refer this on to them so that I would widen the circle as much as I could. So I had some people I knew well and some people I didn't know at all. And that was made it really interesting to see the similarities between answers and the differences between answers. Yeah. And that's the key here is that it wasn't like the LinkedIn of the horse industry with like all these various jobs, but it was really like a commentary on the state of racing and where it's been and where it's going. And is there a place for our generation in this industry? I think you got such a wide range of answers overall. Like what's your take? Where is there a place for our generation in this industry? And are you hopeful or distraught somewhere in the middle? Like, How are you feeling now that you've gotten this experience? Well, I think, first of all, there is a place for this generation in the industry as long as the industry keeps going and remains at a size where all of us can have jobs. A lot of people seem to think that some degree of contraction is inevitable in racing. And so I guess there's a place for us, but the question is how many of us? And we don't really know what that looks like. I don't think that everybody necessarily feels that way, but that's a sentiment that I've heard um, from people of all ages is that some kind of contraction is probably coming at some point in the next you know, decade or so. As to <laughs> the sort of relative pessimism or optimism, I'm not a particularly optimistic person by nature. I tend to <laughs> sort of <laughs> approach things by like, 
how can I anticipate potential problems so that I can try to fix them or so that I can sidestep them or whatever? And so that probably translates over to my feelings about the general direction of racing too. But it's hard to do investigative journalism and feel really optimistic about racing right now, for sure, just due to the, the depth of potential topics there are. And a lot of them, as I think you had acknowledged to me at one point are, are not terribly uplifting things a lot of the time. So it's difficult for me. There were some people who kind of said what I had expected to hear a little more of, which is like, what did I do to myself by making my resume this niche that I'm so like entrenched in this one business that is not very big and it's not getting bigger to be particularly optimistic. But I was encouraged by how many people responded to that question set and did express some degree of hopefulness, but a lot more people express kind of hopefulness that like, you know, there's a lot of things to be worried about, but if we can turn this around, if we can make some really good progress in welfare and safety and integrity, surely this is a sport that can appeal to more people because there is a lot to like about it. And I did find that very encouraging. I love that, Natalie. And I think it's interesting that you said it was difficult to come in with some optimism. And I'm sure as a journalist, because you're seeing both sides, you're seeing the non-equestrian side of the media that takes one view that we've all seen. I mean, we can all think back to Santa Anita and the horrible tragedies that happened there. But you're also seeing the horse world of these educated people who know the ins and outs of the sport. And I, I read through all five sections of the series. And it's just absolutely brilliant and absolutely mind-blowing at the same time. But I was able to pick up on those trends of the optimism of these people are clearly passionate about what they do. They love what they do. They radiate what I would imagine most people say crazy horse girl or crazy horse guy energy in such a fashion of it's an obsession. It's a part of who they are as individuals. But they also bring up the same themes of we kind of have this old boys club and leadership, which, yeah, I stock the jockey club. Come at me. There is a lack of diversity there. I don't even see a diversity and inclusion plan for the jockey club. And was something I, I would love to see. I'm going to throw that right out there. I'm going to get political. But, you know, there's this old boys club. There's a resistance to change. There's like a ceiling that people are seeing in their careers. And I have to ask, knowing this, what do you think is the most critical thing we need to see for change in the sport? And it's a heavy hitter at the beginning of an interview, but I think we'll find some (laughs) other questions in that. (laughs) Yeah, I think that a lot of broader difficulties that the sport faces kind of comes back to that same theme, Mm -hmm. which I think doesn't get enough credit, really. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the business of having the same people in charge for so long. I mean, there's not a ton of people when you really think about it, who actually truly retire from this business. They Mm -hmm. continue on in some sort of role on some board or doing some sort of corporate thing where you're not totally sure what they're doing, but they, they're, they got a position, they're doing something, they control something well past like normal (laughs) retirement ages. And I think that, a lot of the, especially public relations difficulties that we have in racing is not helped by that. I think that the younger generation has probably a better sense, some of them, not all of them, has probably a better sense of the world outside racing and how the world outside racing 
sees racing and interacts with racing. And there seems to be kind of a recurring theme in a lot of those interview responses from people who pointed out, well, that's really critical. Like we tend to forget that. We tend to forget how we come across to somebody besides each other because we just talk to each other all day long. But like that doesn't work anymore. The world is too integrated. Social media is too much of a thing. You can't live in an isolated kind of mindset or an isolated sort of world anymore. And I think that the next generation understands that better than people who spent most of their career without that kind of same outside critique and outside pressure in that same social environment where animal welfare is more of a concern and people think about animals differently. I think all these things are kind of wrapping up into one. And I think that like, there would be some progress if people who understood the current issues a little bit differently and came at it from a different perspective were given the opportunity to be in roles where they could make an effective difference because that seems to be kind of you know part of that problem is that there are younger people in racing in entry level and in middle management and then you kind of stall out because there's somebody above you who's not ready to retire yet and so you're kind mm-hmm. of stuck where you're stuck until they're ready to hand the reins over. And so when I had written my commentary at the end of that, that was sort of my intent is that the the people I spoke gave me interviews on a condition of anonymity because they didn't want to suffer consequences for expressing opinions. And I thought, okay, then I was so (laughs) But a lot of them wanted to, which was guys, just let us try to help this whole thing. Let us try to help turn the ship around. And I felt like that was something that I could say that maybe some of them felt like they couldn't. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, it's cool that you were able to give even anonymously give this platform to these voices and hopefully bring attention to it. So I like what you said about outside perspectives, because you have a lot of people that are not these Kentucky blue bloods coming in because like us, they were all just crazy horse kids. And it's interesting because I, as you were speaking, I was thinking about like, this is not a way I saw this coming full circle, but I'm running our little family farms Facebook page. And recently was just featuring different members of our family, including those of us who married in, who were not born on the farm. And I'd like to think that our perspectives as outsiders who were not like growing up in ag is pretty valuable because we've had experiences elsewhere. So I just think that's really valuable too, to get these people coming in that have not, you know, grown up in the sport or or grown up in Kentucky even. One thing that I was thinking about, we were engaging in a little Twitter conversation when I run the Retired Resource Project's Twitter. So someone had thrown out some discussion question, you know, of how do we get to engage more young people in the sport? Um, And I suggested like all these crazy horse kids were taking lessons on off-track thoroughbreds, like teach them about that horse Mm -hmm. and teach them where that Mm -hmm. horse came from, what his jockey club name was, you know, what he did on the track, where he ran. See, younger horses coming in, there's so much more information available about watching race replays and, and get them hooked in that way. But, you know, I noticed too in those interviews you did, everyone is pretty strictly on the racing or breeding side. From the racing industry's perspective, is aftercare really considered part of the industry or are we sort of still a fringe like part equestrian part racing sort of its own thing like where does that fall into this bigger umbrella so i think that's kind of another area where i'm hoping that the next generation people in racing are going to be able to make a little bit of a difference i think that you know it's varied of course like there are certain farms that are run by you know 
recognized family names that do a ton with aftercare and contribute to the 501c3 causes and do advocate that. But I think that the mentality for most of the established places history has been that aftercare isn't really the same thing. It isn't really part of racing. Aftercare as a concept is relatively new. The word, I think, is really not even had common usage until I'm going to say maybe 15, 20 years ago, something Mm -hmm. like that. So this is not something that the really established sort of people who've been around a long time have spent as much of their careers thinking about as what they sort of have to now. I think that they kind of think that is a thing that we need to do. That is a responsibility that we have. But then we find the horse someplace nice to go. We contribute some money to making sure the horse can find someplace nice to go. And then the horse is doing whatever it's doing and it's not really, you know, our thing anymore. And I think that's a mistake. They're purpose-bred animals. They're a breed that exists largely because the sport exists. They don't stop becoming that just because they're not doing the first job that they had anymore. And I think that it's underserving ourselves as an industry to not count their accomplishments as our accomplishments when they go off to another sport and achieve at a really high level as what plenty of them do. I mean, a lot of them end up with adult Amis like me who are just sort of struggling through a training level test, but there are (laughs) off-track horses that go and do amazing stuff at a variety of other disciplines. And I think that the more this interest in them grows thanks to the makeover and just the general popularity of off-track horses, the more that's going to be true. And I think it would be a mistake for racing not to say like, Hey, this is also part of us because we created this horse that did this. And yeah, we had a different idea in mind, but we still produced an athletic animal. We still produced a relatively sound animal because it's obviously staying sound enough to do whatever job it's doing now. And those are wins for a breeder, for an owner, for a trainer who you know, kept that horse in condition through its first job. So I think that there isn't that... I can't say that there's not an adoption of it by racing because racing has been supportive of these things. But I don't think that they've been thinking about it as we're supporting this because this is also us. I think it's like we're supporting this because it's a nice thing to do and we should do it. But I don't see there being the crossover that there really should be. And as you observe, like there's a ton of potential fans of racing who are encountering the sport via off-track thoroughbreds. And there are a ton of people who would like to one day work in the industry possibly by by you know first being introduced to an off-track thoroughbred and then hopefully learning something about the world they came from. You know, there's this, this pipeline possibility here that mm-hmm. seems so easy that I don't think we're really doing enough to take advantage of. I'd say on either end, yeah, mm-hmm. racing or equestrian, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. I mean, I've been a part of not nearly to the degree that you have, Natalie, but different discussions and racehorse forums. And when they find out that I just do a podcast about aftercare, I get a ton of questions. It's clear like a lot of these people are, they know they donate to it. They know some of their horses have gone to programs. But other than that, they're not really in bridging the gap in between. So it's interesting that there is such such a large space in between the horse's career on the track and where they end after. And so I guess here's my question for you, because I know we're running out of time. I'd love to bring you back on though, because this is fabulous stuff to have. A lot of your interviewers or interviewees, I should say, they mentioned that there was a gap between like the public eye and public media of what's happening 
on the track in their lives and the aftercare of the horse afterwards. What would your recommendations be as like an average listener, an average supporter? How can they ask people within the industry who are making decisions? Like we want to see more representation. We want to see more fair news articles about what's really going on with horse care and the sport. We want to see safety regulations. How can the average person get involved to make their voice heard? Maybe that's not a fair question to ask. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really tough one because like one thing that racing has always had difficulty understanding, I think, is that the interest of mainstream media is always going to be different from Mm -hmm. the interest of industry media. And that's always going to be different from public relations. So the mainstream tends to focus on what's easiest to understand for them. And a lot of the intricacies of a horse did this equestrian thing that your readers may or may not be familiar with. And now he's doing a different equestrian thing that your readers may or may not be familiar with. It's kind of a tough pitch uh, (laughs) to a reporter who, unless the reporter themselves has experience in that. And then, you know, you have kind of a shot at getting some interest, but it's sort of tough to tell that story on a broader scale. But we do have stories that are really incredible that I don't think get as much attention as they should as horses that find their way you know, back to racing connections after they retired. I wrote a, a story about a horse like that a couple of years ago and the horses that really excelled at racing geldings, especially there were stakes geldings and then became really successful at something else. There, there are sort of stories that are easier to grasp. It's just kind of a fight to get a non-horse person to understand it. So I kind of think your better bet is to like get the equestrian community. That's not part of the racing community. Yeah, which that is, it is an area that is divided and there's horse people who love racing and there's people who think it's barbaric. And I'm like, that's probably where we need to put the focus on. And truthfully, I don't know how to get my voice heard at a jockey club. I don't at that level. Yeah. I think that you're right that talking to people who already understand horses is probably the easier battle than trying to explain all of horsedom and then a particular like corner of it to someone who kind of doesn't know the front end from the back end of a horse, but they think they're really pretty and they want them to be okay. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, that's kind of been the, the premise of the mainstream media's interest probably. But yeah, I think that doing a better job of explaining ourselves to other equestrians is probably the better place to start. And then that also goes the other way though. Like you mentioned about there being racing connections who were kind of aware that they'd had a horse go on and do something else, but their Mm -hmm. level of knowledge about that maybe wasn't very good. When you think about it as an outsider watching dressage or watching hunter jumper or something like that, (laughs) it's not that easy to figure out what's going on. Yeah. You're like, it's trotting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, they try yeah. real well. I don't know. There's definitely a two-way kind of communication that probably needs to happen to improve that mm-hmm. engagement because like they're just, the racing people are just as confused by the equestrians as, as yeah. the other way around. I'm sure they don't, um, under, don't I, understand why their bloodstock is doing a pee off in a sand lot. Like they don't understand that. No, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, not why at all. They, they, they know that this is, yeah, like especially at the lower levels, like 
honestly, it's it's not that interesting to watch a lower a lot of lower level stuff when you actually do the mm. thing. Like let alone somebody <laughs> yeah. who has no idea what's going on. And it's just like, yeah, I see my horse, he's trotting, like cool. There's also something to be said which is probably an entirely different discussion for uh, this mentality that I think true throughout equestrian sport, which drives me crazy of like, yeah, there's, there's equestrians who look at racing and are like, Oh, that's terrible and barbaric, but my sport has no problems. And it's mm-hmm. like, no guys, right. everybody's sport has some kind of problem. Like as equestrians generally racing or non-racing, we need to get better at this thing of like, no, no, welfare is important. No matter what you're doing with the horse, <laughs> nobody's mm-hmm. world perfect nobody's sport is free of bad apples. Like, let's just yeah. drop that right Enough now. Finger pointing, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah, let's just Absolutely. try to understand each other and understand the best each other has to offer. It's just a different way to enjoy horses. Like, I enjoy loping along across my field looking for cows. Joy likes fancy prancing. Natalie, you like fancy prancing too and doing your dressage. And like other people like to own their horses and watch them race. And that is just how other people enjoy their horses. So we're all on the same side. It's just getting everybody to see it that way. That's a little hard. And I think it's safe to assume there's a majority of people who want the best for the horse and care about welfare. And there's a couple bad apples in any discipline, any time who tend to get most of the attention at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think it's how each respective sport reacts to those bad apples that really should be what people see and judge by. Mm -hmm. Of course, I say that and racing has not always necessarily done the best job of that either. So, you know, (laughs) well, not a lot of the disciplines haven't been that way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that you'll have some good news to write about soon, Natalie, and not just, you know, more of, (laughs) more of the bad investigative journalism that I'm sure is very good. There's always good news out there. You know, I think that you make a difference by shining light on things that are dark and unpleasant. So You're unfortunately, right. I probably have to keep going on that side of things because I really believe that's where I'm going to make things better. That's what I keep telling myself anyway. And you are. I firmly believe that the work that you're doing and and this is how we get the word out and this is how you start to make change. So I think you are doing fabulous work over at Pollock Report. If people want to read this particular series, how can they find it easily? Probably the best thing to do is to go to our website, our homepage, pollockreport.com, and we've got a search option on every page and you can use that search bar to look for Racing's Next Generation. And I think that probably isn't a uh, perfect search term, but it should bring you up one, at least one of the uh, pieces in the series. And then all the other parts are linked at the intro and the conclusion of each so that you can find them all easily. Awesome. So highly recommended for anybody, whether you're in aftercare, equestrian, or in the racing industry. If you've not already read this series, like absolutely put that on your must-read list and and get to it. So Natalie, thank you so much for coming on. I think we could go on and on for hours and hopefully by the end of it, fix all of the world's problems, but maybe not. (laughs) So but we would love to have you come on again sometime, but thank you so much. Give Blueberry a big old hug and kiss from all of us at Retired Racehorse Radio and the RRP because he's a superstar too. (laughs) Absolutely. I will do that. Thank you so much for having me back. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. 
Spring is here and it's time to get organized. Cashflow Company has everything you need to get your barn, tack room, and trailer spick and span before show season begins. From stall organizers, gear bags, hooks, brushes, and everything in between, Cashflow Company's got your back for your pre-show season organizing needs. To stay up to date with the latest products and news, follow Cashflow Company on Facebook and Instagram. And to find their products, visit an authorized dealer or visit cashflowcompany.com. I'm super stoked. We are having another segment of our Making the Makeover series. If you listen to our last episode, you'll know that we changed up the Spotlight Rider series, where we're now going to be featuring four distinctive riders over the whole course of their makeover journey. And we have our second one joining us today. Her name is Natalie Holdren. And we're super stoked to learn about her as well as her makeover course. So welcome to the show, Natalie. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited because you are a junior coming into the makeover. Is this your very first time or second? This is my second time in the makeover. My first time was last year at the mega makeover. So I'm excited to see kind of what a normal makeover year looks like. You and me both, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you came into a very interesting year, probably very, well, maybe not very, but overwhelming to some degree with the amount of horses and people. So it's a little more chill, a little bit more planning ahead. Tell us a little bit about the horse that you're going to be bringing in? Yes. So uh, we have, his name is Temple Four. was his jockey club name. We call him Tempe around the barn. We acquired him through Mid-Atlantic Horse Rescue, which is where we've gotten most of our thoroughbreds from. His racing career had ended around August of 2020 because he unfortunately bowed his tendon on the track. So he went through the whole rehab process with um, Bev And now that his tendon was all better, Bev wanted to make sure he went to a good home. And so Bev had given us many horses before and knew how well we took care of our horses and everything of that nature. So that's kind of how we got him and a little bit about him and his backstory. I love it. And Tempe's such a great name. I think that's so fun. He's a beautiful gray. (laughs) Yes, yes. Big dapple gray. I love how... Uh, gigantic he is. I've always been one for the big, gigantic thoroughbreds. So I'm very excited. I love and Beth does such a good job down there at Mid-Atlantic Horse Rescue. So, you know, if you got a rehab from Bev, she's going to tell you exactly everything that horse needs. So mm-hmm. does he have any limitations or is he good to go for a second career? No, he is all good to go for a second career. Bev has no concerns about any limitations with him. Bev has always been very good with us about outlining those limitations. Our last, our makeover horse last year, she made sure she outlined that she would probably only do two six. And she's always made that very clear. And she was very clear that unless something happens down the road, there's no limitations for him. So we'll see where we go. Awesome. That's definitely cool. And you've been riding since you're the age of three. So you've had a very long riding career. When did your love of thoroughbred start? And when did you know you wanted to enter the makeover? Like, what was that spark? So um, Chrissy, who, um, Chrissy Aguilar, who owns all of uh, the horses, she owns Tempe and who I lease him through. She has always had lots of thoroughbreds. She's always been in the thoroughbred industry. And she's kind of gotten me started in horses and up um, around when COVID was first starting, I started riding our makeover horse that was supposed to be for 2020. That's really when my love of thoroughbreds had started, but I'd been around her barn of thoroughbreds and I she'd gone to the makeover. My horse, Zinzi Blanca, who I showed last year was a 2019 makeover horse that she took. 
and she'd always come back with the coolest stories, the coolest videos. And I've always wanted to go to the horse park and I've watched so many of my riding idols just grow up in the horse park and show there that it was something I knew I wanted to do. And so once I kind of really started riding the law and getting into that portion, I really fell in love with the thoroughbreds and the industry behind them and just the process of being able to say like, yes, this is my horse. I made this horse. I didn't just bring a horse in from another country that's already been started. Everything in this horse is fit to me, how I want, how they fit my riding and everything of that sort. And so the makeover I love too, because it's just thoroughbreds. It's for those people who have restarted thoroughbreds. They all understand the process, like the struggles that some of us have to go through, like the highs, the lows, they understand everything, which is definitely, it makes everyone feel welcome. It's a big, great, like, that's what probably my favorite part about the makeover was. Oh man. That's got to make you feel good. Kristen being a part yeah. of the RRP. <laughs> well, this it is why, we, yeah, this is why it gets me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's certainly amazing. And I agree the the makeover is such a community builder. It's such a cool space to be in. It's not like any other horse show, in my opinion. Did you get to meet any of like the trainers you look up to while you were there? Did you have a chance to fangirl over anyone there? I look up to a lot of the girls who ride for our Mid-Atlantic team. Specifically, Ginny Cole brought her mare. Her bar name is Faith. I'm blanking on what her jockey club name was, but she was the first Mid-Atlantic horse to go to eventing. And Ginny's position, the way she rides, how gentle she rides, but still being firm was something that I've always wanted in my riding and that I'm still working towards in my riding. So, And I've been able to sit in, in a few of like her lessons, watching her at our local eventing series going, but be able to see her in action at the makeover. And we watched, we were actually have finally were done showing when she was showing for the eventing portion. So we got to watch her show jumping and her cross country course. And that was, so cool to see because we had all seen faith at square one. So to see her at that finish line at RRP was definitely incredible. And just being able to watch like Ginny, who I've watched for so long, definitely was something that I enjoyed a lot. I love that. That's Mm -hmm. so cool. And that mid Atlantic team, everyone runs so tight down there, which I love, you know, I really like that it's become something that all the mid Atlantic folks do like a a big goal for everybody. So now are you entered as a team or as an individual? So yes, we are a team. It's me. And then one other girl, um, Alyssa Kelly from our barn, she rode one of our other make over horses at Peyton place last year and seeing how well Peyton come out. I'm very excited to have her on the team this year. And she has a few other horses from Bohemia that we're bringing along as well to come to the makeover. So it's us two, but yes, we are signed up as a team. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. So for any listeners who are not sure how the team format works, a team is so that somebody like Natalie and her barn, they can all join together in the process of bringing a makeover horse along. And then at the makeover, various parts of the team show in different segments of the competition. So maybe you guys will swap out, you know, and each ride a hunter round or each ride a dressage test or whatever discipline. What disciplines are you guys pointing to right now? Do you have anything in mind? Definitely show hunters is something that we're aiming to. Um, We were a little weary about that at first when we were just starting off. We weren't really sure what direction we wanted to head into, but he's definitely picked up jumping and that's definitely one of his favorite things to do. So we're definitely hoping for show hunters and we do like 
dressage. We have done that in the makeover in the past. And Alyssa has started taking her dressage lessons on him. And I do a little venting, local venting series around us. So I think we're kind of going to see how he does at these next few venting shows. We're going to try to go to some of the tip dressage shows with last year's makeover horse. And we'll probably drag Tempe along since there's an extra trailer spot. And so probably show hunters and dressage, but we definitely, we've also had horses who have done competitive trail and we love that as well. So definitely a few options. Yeah. You guys love it all. You guys are just <laughs> you're very versatile there. Natalie, I know we're running out of time. What do you have coming up? Any events for Tempe that we should be keeping an eye on? And also, I need to ask you, how are you planning to keep him nice and clean over show season? I need to know your grooming Uh, techniques. So right now, because (laughs) it is pretty muddy here in Delaware, um, just making sure that I bought hands-on grooming gloves, and those are his absolute favorite things. Those are good ones. All the time. And then for Christmas, I got a Haas shimmel brush, which is magic it takes all the stains out i don't know how they do it what magic they put in this brush but it works magic because his legs are still super dark so they don't stain right now but his face is getting lighter by the minute so all the stains are on his face so (laughs) thank goodness he's a good boy unless we brush his face but that is that and lots of quicksilver i'm gonna have to invest in a half a gallon of quicksilver i'm having a feeling well, hopefully he stays dark for you up until the makeover. Then he can lighten up after. <laughs> yeah, that's the hope, but you never yeah. know. But well, do, you, uh, do you have any horse shows or clinics coming up? Yes. So we are planning on April through October, right up to the makeover. We do a local show series called uh, the Chesapeake Bay Horse Show Association. Mm-hmm. And they actually just became tip affiliated this year. So we're oh, in a definitely they're definitely going to do their thoroughbred hunter division. We've done that with all of our horses. And then I'm going to be doing their junior X division, which is their two, six X division. Um, just trying that out to make sure he gets regulated with that two, six height um, enough and being able to, in case we want to do like more hunter derby, see if that's our, see the X rounds kind of tend to ride like some jump around just to kind of see if, we want to go the hunter or the jumper or Eck after the makeover. And then I know May 22nd, Mid-Atlantic has their all thoroughbred benefit show that all the proceeds go to Mid-Atlantic. So we're definitely going to do that. And they have a hunter derby there. So we're definitely going to try to see if we can get ourselves ready for that hunter derby. But lots and lots of shows coming up and hopefully some cross-country schoolings in the near future as well. Yeah. You go, girl. You've got a full calendar. But that's perfect. That's exactly what these horses need to get ready for the makeover. So you are right on track. So we're going to be sure to keep in touch with you, Natalie, as you continue to prepare. And we have your Facebook on for our show notes. And I believe you have an Instagram too, correct? Yes. Awesome. So we'll link both of those if anyone wants to follow Natalie's journey. There's so much to be held for both of you and Tempe. We're so excited to see it. And then we'll be checking in monthly to see how you're going and how you're getting a little bit step closer each time you get to the makeover. Yes. Thank you. I'm very excited. Yeah. We can't wait to cheer you on. So best Mm -hmm. of luck in your upcoming shows this month. And we'll look forward to getting the report next time. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. What if adding just one product to your feed regimen could help your course recover faster after a show, get relief from inflammation, reduce his nerves and ease his digestion. 
If any of those benefits sound appealing to you, then check out American Harvest Premium Hemp Extracts and Equine Hemp Pellets. American Harvest's natural equine hemp pellets are vet formulated and produced from natural hemp. The palatable pelleted formula is manufactured with potent raw CBD using no chemical processing, so your horse will love the taste as much as you'll love the benefits. Look for the full line of American Harvest products at your local equine shop, any Hubbard dealer, or online at store.alltech.com. And right now, American Harvest is offering an exclusive giveaway for you, our loyal Horse Radio Network listeners. One lucky winner will receive a free 90-day supply of American Harvest equine products. Check out today's show notes for details on how to enter. Well, I am so thrilled to bring on our next guest. We have Winnie Morgan Nemeth. She is from New Vocations on their standard bread side of the program as the standard bread program director. She has never been on the show before. It's such a pleasure to have her. Welcome to the show, Winnie. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. It, I have to tell you, I have been wanting to feature a standard bread on the show for quite some time now. We did it back in 2019, and I know there were some changes at New Vocations. So it's great to be able to bring this part of the program back. I'd love if you could give us like a quick update on what New Vocations is doing with their standard bread program right now, if you could. Sure. So Right now, we have three standard bread locations. We have one, Gainesville, New York, with Amanda Vance. And then we have Richwood, Ohio, with Bridget Holleran. And we have Hamilton, Ohio, with Laura Kersman. All our trainers for new vocations and some have thoroughbreds. Amanda does the thoroughbreds as well for us, but she takes both. And we have horses at all facilities. Some are rehab stalls and some are for training horses. It just depends. We typically have about 30 standard breads in the program at all times. Last year, we are happy to say that we serviced over 100 standard breads through the program. We are accredited through the Standard Bread Transition Alliance and are just found out once again, we will be accredited for this year. And we were one of the first to be accredited by the Standard Bread Transition Alliance. And I've been the Standard Bread Program Director since 2012 with new vocations, but I actually started training horses for them in 2004. Oh, wow. So you've really been with the program for some time, which is amazing. New Vocations is, in my opinion, the gold standard as far as many of the programs out there to get your retired racehorses from. And I love how you feature the standard breads equally to the thoroughbreds. I know that's something that's come up in conversation on our show. You all do a wonderful job with the horses. I'm going to bring Kristen in because I know she has a standard bread and she has a great training question for you. Yeah. So I got my first standard bread probably about a year ago at this point. So he was like a direct rescue from a kill operation in Pennsylvania from a friend of mine. She goes through and pulls horses for the, I think the standard bread full circle or the whatever that is that they put on the standard bread papers. They scan for horses that people have expressed interest in taking on, you know, should the horse ever come into need. So she was going through and looking for horses for that program. And then this little guy caught her eye. So she brought him home and got him, you know, initially transitioned. And then I picked him up in April. So we've had a lot of fun with him, but he was an Amish horse, I think for probably well over a decade, he didn't have a very long racing career. So he's really been driven most of his life. He just turned 18. So, so he's a senior guy, but he's old always been in harness. And I also drive some horses on the side. So my family has Pertrons. So so I'm familiar enough with driving to realize that there is no physical way for that horse to move his hindquarters independent of his front end, when especially if they're hooked single. So right. 
from my understanding, at least, not only is the horse physically restrained from doing that, but you would never want a horse doing that because he'd be, you know, dragging your vehicle sideways across the ground. So, of course, I'm retraining this little guy for a ranch career, and I want him nice and supple and, and really soft and well-broken, moving his his shoulders, his rib, and his hip. And it's moving the hip that's really been a challenge for us. Only in the past month, I would say, have I really got that to the point now where I can start to put some leg on and he will start to shift his hip one way or the other without having to move his front end first. Do you have any other tips or tricks or ideas, exercises, or I hate to use the word drills, but people love using the word drills. So we'll say it. (laughs) Exercises or drills to help unlock a standard bread's back end and get those hips moving independently of the rest of him. Sure. Sure. Well, first of all, let me start with one thing is that the full circle program, I'm going to talk just a little bit about that. It is a very, really unique thing that the United States Trotting Horse Association implemented. And that means that any registered standard bred can be put into full circle and by their freeze brand or their microchip, hence how you've got your horse, if that horse is in that program, it means somebody wants to know where they are. It's not necessarily, it's not a, um, it's not a charity. It's not a rescue. It's just maybe it's the breeder that put them in that, or maybe it was the trainer that put them in that. Anyway, it is kind of a way that's very unique. The jockey club doesn't have it. AQHA doesn't have it. No other breed that I know of offers that type of um, thing in their registry. And we love it because it is just a great way all new vocations horses go into full circle once they are adopted out. And it's just a way if 15 years down the road, somebody needs help with that horse, they can reach out to the person that the full circle is registered to. So thank you, one, for adopting a standard bread. I think it's great. And it's great to hear that that full circle did help your horse get out of a kill pin situation and into your hands. So my next question would be, is he a trotter or a pacer? He was, I believe, a pacer. Okay. And I'm sure, too, if you look him up by his freeze brand, um, which he has on his neck, you could find out his whole racing history, where he was born, that could be when he was castrated. All kinds of things are on that report, which, again, to my knowledge, there's no other breed registry that offers that kind of information. I'm literally on the USDA pathway every single day, it seems. Um looking at horses and their background and if they were a mare, did they have babies and did those babies race and who bred them and what state were they fold in? It's just like an amazing program. So again, if you need help with that, I'm happy to help you. But so you think he's a pacer and when you ride him, does he trot or pace under saddle? He trots. He's actually got pretty good gates. I've never seen him pace. He paced twice under saddle with me when I just wanted to see like, can you canter? And the first time he paced, and then the second time I asked for the canner, and all of a sudden, boom, we were cantering. So I've not done a lot of that because he's just not physically strong or balanced mm-hmm. to make that productive. So I was like, we're going to table that for another couple of months, get him a little better conditioned and a little less upside down, and then we'll canter some more. But yeah, otherwise, just a couple times pacing under saddle, just when he was like, is this what you want? And then after that, he's been pretty good to go. So the quality of his uh, walk and trot has really developed over the past year. I kind of just let him sit in the pasture for most of the summer and then really just started to ride him over the winter. So so the walking and okay. a little bit of trotting has really helped to develop those gates into a little more of a riding horse style. So, Right, right. And you're riding him Western? Mm-hmm. That what you're, okay. 
So basically, and, and you've started bending him so that he's learning to give to pressure. Does he move away from pressure? Yes. So, and I'll tell you what I've done to intro this first was to, you know, start on the ground untacked just with getting him to step the haunches over just on the pressure of my hand. And then he didn't quite seem to figure out like there was a quantum leap he wasn't quite making from that groundwork to riding work. So a couple of times I actually had a ground person help me out while I was sitting on him to see if that would help. And we had a little bit of success with that. And then he's just, it's the light bulb started to go off in the past month. But yeah, I haven't found a great way to ask him other than to just do it over and over again. <laughs> so right. yeah. So anything right. more enjoyable for both of us would be much appreciated. <laughs> yes. Well, one of the things with standard breads that I have found is that a lot of them, depending on how it's a lot to do with how they're built so some horses are built to a little more balanced in that they pick up that give easier. They learn to round and give to the bit like you would want them to be a riding horse. And then some of them have just gone for so many years in an overcheck, meaning that overcheck has their head up and then that kind of hollows their back out when they race or drive. A lot of times Amish horses do not have an overcheck. But again, as you mentioned, when they're pulling a buggy or a jog cart or a race bike, their body's asked to do way, way different things that they would be asked to do under saddle. So right. a lot of times if you might want to start, you know, we'll start lunging them in type of a bidding rig so that they learn to give and round a little bit. And a lot more, the more balanced confirmationally the horse is, the little easier it is for them. And the whole riding thing, most of our horses are coming straight from the racetrack. And when we put them in the arena and just, let them stand there and they watch horses ride around them, they have a meltdown most of the time oh, no. <laughs> because they have never seen a person on their back before. And if you think about it, all they know is, and a lot of times they have blinders on their bridle. So they're just looking straight ahead. And if they have a shadow roll or can't see back, they can't see behind them. They can't see below them. They don't see puddles. They don't see any of that. And then we all of a sudden open them up <laughs> into an open bridle and they see the whole world and then they see somebody riding this horse and they've like probably raced 150 to 200, 300 times. They really don't understand at all what's going on. So I like to remind people when they start to kind of think about their perspective in that it's the same way with riding horses. I have seen when a riding horse sees a horse pulling a jog cart or a buggy horse, they have a very hard time with that. Yes. It's out of their <laughs> repertoire. They don't even know what that means. It blows their mind. So a lot of times we spend quite a few weeks just holding the horse in the indoor arena or the outdoor arena and letting them see the whole wide world. Because one of the first questions I ask trainers is, did they jog in an open bridle? Most of the time, that's no. A lot of times they walk out of the stall at full, fully harnessed. So they don't even know a lot of times, you know, what's next to them, let alone, you know, they know they're pulling a cart, obviously. And the more times they do it as they get broke as babies, they get that figured out. But you know, to see a person on their back besides an outrider, which sometimes they can see, sometimes they can't at the track, is just so, so different for them. However, because they are wonderful, you know, horses and smart and figure things out really quickly, um, they they do put it all together. But I'm always amazed at when they first see riders on, on the backs of the horse. So people on their back and they're like, what is this? <laughs> this is not right. I know this is not yeah. right. <laughs> A little sensory overload. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So getting into the details of what you're asking, 
I think with anything, when taking your time and then making sure that the horse is understanding what you're asking. And I also think it's really important to make sure that overall they are sound, healthy, can physically do what you're asking them to do because standard bars are very versatile. They can't do everything perfectly. They're not going to barrel race like a quarter horse would because a lot of them just aren't built to do that. Not that they couldn't do it or wouldn't do it because you asked, but they, when you look at them and because a lot are very wide behind and pacers, you know, to go tight circles is very, very different than (laughs) racing on a racetrack. So that's one of the first things I like to tell people is like with what you're wanting to do, do you think the horse is built correctly to do those types of things and then progress in that sort of manner? I think that's really key because I think a lot of people, they want to champion a breed or or a rescue, let's say, but the reality is like, yeah, not every horse is built for every job. So I think that's probably the most important thing to look at first. Like you, you can find a representative within the breed that will do the job that you want. So, yeah. So speaking of representatives in the breed, let's take a look at our featured adoptable horse of the week, wind of the North. Tell us about him. Yeah, so Wind of the North came to us in January. I was thrilled to get the call from his trainer, um, who also is his owner, that have owned him for the past five years. He is a trotter. He's a 2010 trotter that actually raced in the Elite Lop, which is a Swedish race. So he was um, flown from the U.S. to Sweden, and he raced two starts there. Unfortunately, he did not earn any money in Sweden, so he came back to the United States and uh, finished his career. He had 214 starts, and he earned $1.2 million. Holy smokes, this guy got around. He is darling. So I realize I am speaking to everyone in a podcast, but you guys have got to get on New Vocations website and look at this horse. His face. true. I mean, I'm sure you'd agree, Kristen. I just feel like they're breeding standard bread so differently. Even though I love a good Roman nose, I just think they're adorable. But he looks like a warm blood. If you told me this is a standard bread, I wouldn't believe Absolutely. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's just something about the standard bread eyes and the way their ears tie on when they put their little ears up and look at you. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if we can do a standard bread segment, Joy. I don't know. I'm going to adopt <laughs> all of these myself. Also, tell the story of my life every time we do an adoptable horse. But I absolutely love Wendy. He's such a cool looking dude. Um, he's got a level one leading ground manners, grooming intact level two. He's just a chill guy. And we all love that chill horse at the barn. You can all think of who it is, whether it's your horse or someone else's. They just give off a vibe that we like to have. And yeah, he's at an insanely ridiculous fee of a thousand dollars. So he's practically free. He's practically free. Don't tell me this. It's amazing. Don't tell me this. I'm going to show up with a trailer and be like, come on, Wendy, hop in. Come home. Well, good news is Kristen, New Locations has a stellar amount of horses. And I know that we can keep Winnie on forever to go through how great each and all of them are. But if anyone's looking, check out newvocations.org, horseadoption.com. Either one will get you to the place that you need to be. Check out the thoroughbreds and standardbreds available and get your adoption paperwork in. Like be ready to go because they go like potato chips, everyone. We all know it. They go quick. <laughs> And I just want to add real quick that we will have Wind of the North at Equine Affair in Columbus, Ohio, which starts on April 7th and goes through the 10th. 
and we will be with the Right Horse organization, and we will actually have five available standard rents there. Three of them have all earned over a million dollars, which is an absolute like one-time record. We have never had three horses in our program, standard red or thoroughbred, at one time that have earned over a million dollars, and we have three of them. That's awesome. Wow. So we have some royalty. And so check them out. I'll be at Equine Affair as well. Come say hi. And I'm super excited to meet these like very celebrity-esque horses. It's going to yeah, be amazing. Send me a selfie, Joy. The RRP will. will also be at Equine Affair. I'm not going to be going, uh, but the RRP will be there. So I have to make sure my coworkers do not steal him for me as well. So You know we're going to enable you. You're going to have I this know. horse. I know. I know. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Winnie, for coming on. We can't wait to have you again to talk more about standard breads. If anyone has questions about standard bread training, we'll drop our email so you can send it, but you can always contact Kristen or myself and we'll be sure to relay them to Winnie. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Kristen, I feel like this episode was a ton of fun. We like hit some heavy topics with Natalie and then we got into like the future of horsemanship with other Natalie. <laughs> like honestly, it, it's been such a fun episode. I really loved meeting Winnie and learning more about new vocation standard breads. I I don't know. I, I think it's gonna be really cool moving forward with our series. What do you think? What were your biggest takeaways today? I'm just having a ton of fun. So far now, we've done three episodes, and I've just gotten to talk to all these awesome people that I've always wanted to talk to. So I'm super happy. I've had a great time this evening. But here's the thing, Joy. So it's evening now. Now I don't know what to do for dinner. But I do see that you are at the Foodie Equestrian. So my husband's been riding a ton recently, which is really, really cool. Like Mm -hmm. after work, we go down to the farm together and we have a great time, take the horses out for a ride, do the chores. And then we come home and it's 830 and we have no idea what to make for dinner. Oh, I understand Uh, that. I'm hoping you can help me out. (laughs) Yes, that is a, a struggle. Like I'll kid you not 10 minutes before this podcast, I called Zach and I was like, Hey, I need you to figure out what we're doing for food. Cause I'm about to record. So I get this. I it's short, quick meals. Easy meals are my go-to because being a horse person, we are so busy. So I have a few suggestions that I think you'll love. So the first one I would recommend tacos. And you're like, that's not exciting, but you can make tacos exciting. I promise. So you have your standard beef taco, which everyone knows how to do. You take your ground beef of your choice, throw it in the pan, get your taco seasoning, salt, always use cracked pepper friends. It'll change your life. Don't use the dust, use the cracked pepper, have your favorite tortillas on hand. Or if you don't have tortillas, make a taco salad. You can do a rice bowl with it. There's so much you can do. But you can also mix up your proteins. You can easily do chicken in that. You can do a like adobe style chicken. We've done shrimp tacos, which is super fun. Some lime pepper, a little bit of the taco seasoning, super delish. And if you really want to have like some fun fusion, you can do like a Korean style. So with mm-hmm. your ground beef, you can add some sriracha, some lime. And I'll I'll go ahead and like I'll type these up and have these ready. We can share with listeners. But um Yeah, you can do some Asian fusion, some scallions in there. If you have some kimchi on hand, you can throw that on top or like a mango salsa to really mix it up. So you can have fun with tacos. They're super easy. The leftovers are great to use in all kinds of stuff. Mix it with eggs in the morning for breakfast tacos. Hello. Easy, simple. Um, Another one, if you're vegetarian, I like to do is a very simple like fried tofu style. Super easy. So if you get some extra firm tofu... 
I like to make a quick marinade with some soy sauce, some mustard, a little bit of honey. My favorite's a chipotle honey. I know that's fancy, but you can use any honey. You can even use maple syrup if you don't have honey in your house. Some salt, pepper, a little bit of garlic. Whisk all those up together and then throw that into a pan. Marinate over your tofu and kind of let it caramelize. You can throw that on some rice. Trader Joe's, the already frozen jasmine rice, you microwave it for five minutes. Saves so much time. It's amazing and it tastes delicious. Or you can throw some rice in your Instant Pot, 10 to 15 minutes, serve it up with that. You can get the frozen stir-fry veggies. You can also, if you want to be adventurous, pick up some bok choy. It cooks really nicely, sautéed. Oh, I love bok choy. Yes. yes. I love doing that one with a little bit of ginger, some soy sauce. And if you want, you can throw some like chilies on it too, which is super tasty. So all very simple meals. I'll go ahead and type those up so we have them for our listeners, but you can cook them all in under 20 minutes and enjoy it. Perfect. That's what I want. Quick, easy, healthy, tasty. Absolutely. If anyone ever has questions, like feel free to DM me at the Foodie Equestrian because I like to pantry rate. I hate grocery shopping and I hate dishes. So all my recipes are around. We don't have time for that. We have too many recipes. No one has time. (laughs) So perfect end to the night because now I'm hungry. So before we do that, before we make our dinners, let's close out the show. I'll kick it off to you, Kristen. All right. Well, you can find our show notes, Joy's recipes, and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. I can be found on Instagram at The Horseback Writer. And you can follow all of my racehorse ranch adventures on Facebook at Jobber Bill Racehorse to Ranch Horse. You can also hit me up on email, kbentley at therrp.org. You can find me on Instagram, like I just said, the foodie equestrian, and my email is joy at horseradionetwork.com. Feel free to reach out about questions for any of our guests, guest ideas you might have, or if you just want recipes like Kristen, I'm always happy to help out where I can. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products, Cashel Company, American Harvest, and Wintex Saddles. We could not do the show without you. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And add more leg. Amen. Bye, guys. Bye.